everybody, Tyler Smith here with another More Than One Lesson mini-sode, uh, another Best of Picture episode in which we are talking about the Best Picture winner for 1993, Steven Spielberg's Schindler's List. Now, to help us talk about it, your best friend and my worst enemy, Josh Long. Josh. Hi, everybody. Good to ha- see all my best friends again. Absolutely. I can see all of you. Yeah. You can see into them. I'll say that. It's, That's a, what it's very disconcerting. I mean, I can see the inside. Yeah. Anytime you, anytime you see inside of me, I feel like, oh, I just feel a chill come over me. Mm-hmm. And then you say, and then you start throwing up because mm-hmm. you apparently something inside me is horrible. Yeah. So, uh, but that's, you know, something. Nobody's everything. perfect. That's what I say. Well, so anyway, I can see inside. On. So I, I know which people are perfect. Oh, interesting. Anyone I know? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know what? I, I think even I know you that. knew that. Um, <laughs> so, Okay. I feel like you're insulting my wife now. Um, <laughs> so uh, that was a weird tangent to go on. I apologize, everybody. I'm very sleepy. And we're recording this right after uh, the previous Best of Picture episode in which we talked about Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah. So Forrest we're Gump. going to jump right into Schindler's List. Here's the deal. I haven't seen it in a while. I think I've seen it only twice. And okay. the last time I saw it was probably about 10 years ago. Um, when is the last time you saw Schindler's List? I've only seen it once, but it's within the last 10 years. Okay. Do you feel like you have a pretty good memory for it? <laughs> uh, every detail. Oh, boy. Okay. Not really. I, I remember a that lot of harrowing. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I think I, I watched it on a small TV in an upstairs room in my grandfather's house. Well, that's the way to watch it, right? I know, totally. It's the, yeah. that You really get the full impact there. I, I feel like, like what's that little red... <laughs> What's that little red dot? I can't tell what's going on. Um, and now I'm thinking maybe I have seen it since then. I don't know. I feel like well, I've did only you seen rewatch it? it? No, because oh, because we're actually getting we're past the point in which you were watching you watched oh, yes. to write articles. The ones about. we've written on Forrest Gump was the last was the uh, would have been the first point. one that yeah. I I never wrote on Forrest Gump. Yeah, yet. Yeah, I guess stay it tuned. can still happen. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. So this is not one that I and I'm trying to think if I was going to write on it. I, th- I might have watched it again. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, it's it is interesting. I mean, I haven't seen it in probably ten years or more, and I I have a as as will often happen with movies like this. Um, I don't have a really specific memory of all of it, but I have a very strong memory of certain certain parts. things. Yeah, I feel the same way. There are very iconic scenes and mm-hmm. very iconic performances. Yeah, that will resonate with me until I am dead. Right. I mean, it's it's gonna it's one of those types of movies, and I think mm-hmm. I think that's probably how Spielberg meant it to be. Yeah, um, he makes some visual choices um, that I think are meant to underline certain things so that you, when you walk away, there are certain things that are never going to go away. They will mm-hmm. always be with you. Yeah. Um, you know, Ray, Ray Fine's character, um, picking off people from the balcony. Yeah. Stuff like that. Um, who's, uh, the, the older Jewish man who I believe he is missing one arm or, or one leg. I don't quite recall, but he is, uh, disabled and, uh, is, hauled off to be killed as he insists that Mr. Schindler said that he is an essential worker like that. Mm. Him saying, I am an essential, I am an essential worker like that 
will echo in my head and haunt me mm-hmm. the rest of my life. And just, and I specifically remember uh, hearing one of the uh, Nazis uh, say that he is twice as useless mm-hmm. um, because he has a, an infirmity. So I remember that. I remember Ben Kingsley's character almost being taken away. Mm-hmm. Um, I, of course, I remember, I remember the, the scene that people tend to criticize because they say it's very Oscar Beatty in which uh, Schindler is talking about uh, – what he could have done more uh, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So I actually, I remember quite a bit, uh, very, what I, what I think are scenes that are inherently iconic. Yeah. Um, and I think by, sh- and of course I remember the girl in the red, right. Right. In right. the red coat, because mm-hmm. you're very much supposed to remember that. Right. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, he shot it in black and white and, now, okay, I have my own very abstract theory as to why he did that. And it's a strange thing to say, why would you do... It's a, it, I feel like it's weird to even ask that question, why would you shoot that in black and white, considering that it takes place at that time when film was mostly black and white. So, in many ways, it just seemed like something I no one would ever question. But it's worth delving into. In your opinion, why did he shoot that film black and white? I don't know. I feel like you could go a couple different ways. Um, uh, there's certainly something bleak about concentration camps. So there's mm-hmm. that that element of it that just uh, something with all this, the color sucked out of it. Um, because then I think I think that might be part of the reason. Because then I think the hints of color stand out a little bit more, and right. and, and at times kind of suggest something hopeful. Yeah. Um, uh, so that could be part of it. Then, um, I don't know. I don't know if you could, you could maybe say there's something in the, the black and white of good and evil in it. Hmm. I mean, I think the, uh, I don't know if it's as easy to say that the good characters are clearly good, but there is an obvious and clear evil mm-hmm. in it. Uh, the, the Ray Fiennes character is, that's one of the more evil ones in film history yes. that I can think of. Yes. Um, I remember uh, seeing a list of like movie villains and he was on the list and I was like, somehow it feels <laughs> demeaning to even <laughs> refer to him as a villain. You know, it's like, like he's on the same list with Darth Vader. Yeah. He's there with Hans Gruber, <laughs> you know? Um, so yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I, I feel like everything you're saying makes sense to me, and I think I probably agree with it, and I, I think there's probably a, new, a number of reasons. But I, for myself, uh, my own feeling is that, as I said earlier, um, the film has a lot of iconic imagery. And to me, and I think, I don't know, maybe in, in the minds of some people, if something is black and white, it seems older, it seems timeless, and it seems classic and mm-hmm. thus, I think, iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, when you watch a color film, when you watch like, I mean, this is about the horrors, not even the horrors of war. These are the horrors of mass genocide and just mm-hmm. prejudice and all these terrible things. I mean, somehow to shoot that just in in just color like, any, like it was any other old movie um, – it doesn't it doesn't weaken it or anything like that because you know if you were to see splatters of blood that would certainly remind you that this is a, a very horrible thing but somehow by shooting in a black and white i feel like it elevates everything to the point where you feel like you are watching 
this. I'll, I'll use the word iconic. importance to it. Yeah, it, it elevates the importance of it to the point where it doesn't look like the other movies you will have gone to see that year. It looks different. It feels different. It mm-hmm. is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just, among other things, just another way of differentiating. Because the Holocaust itself, I mean, don't get me wrong, like, genocide has happened before. It, it, has, it has happened since. It mm-hmm. happened very shortly after the Holocaust in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is a thing that happens. Um, but it doesn't happen a lot and it's something that we should, that we should never get used to. It should not look like other things Hmm. when we, when we look at that and compare it to the rest of our lives. And so I feel like it's a visual representation of this being a thing that we need to pay specific attention to. Hmm. Um, and that's the thing is I do feel like, um, this was a, a film that, uh, I do know that Spielberg made no money on it. He specifically forfeited the money that he made and gave it to, I forget, I think it was some some type of Jewish charity. And so mm-hmm. um, it's something that was very close to his heart. Um, and I think the, the detail that went into every little part of it, um, because a lot of it, you know, it takes place in concentration camps and factories and the, the frame is just full of, of stuff and people and I don't know, it just, I I get such a strong sense of place from the film Mm -hmm. and I don't know. I, when I think of Steven Spielberg's greatest movies, I don't often think of this one and I wonder if maybe I should, because clearly it's something that was not merely close to his heart, but he also, um, just attacked it with as much, as much of his skill as he could. Yeah. Which is, uh, is good because I feel like sometimes the opposite can happen. I feel like sometimes if you have a, a, a filmmaker who is so close to the subject material or feels so passionately about it, they they can get lost in it sometimes and, yeah. and uh, aren't able to still make a good movie about it. So I could easily have seen this. Th- this seems like a movie that could have flopped maybe, you know, like if it was a little bit different, if, yeah. If he hadn't had a surer hand, um, maybe if he hadn't worked harder on it, it might have just seemed like a big, expensive, long passion project. Yeah. Uh, it because it especially something like this could have easily been self-important. Yeah. People even kind of make jokes about it now, as if it is. I think we all know it's not a self-important movie, but right. It, the the joke that's made about it is like. Yes, of course, we all have to admit this. This one's important, you know, yeah. like, well, how many times you've heard somebody say something about something? Well, it's not Schindler's list. Yeah, I mean, that's I think that's a really good way of, of approaching it. And, you know, uh, when we talked about the English patient, we made reference to Seinfeld's approach to the English mm-hmm. patient. Well, Seinfeld had an approach to Schindler's list as well. Oh, yeah. Which is Jerry is de- <laughs> Jerry is dating this girl and they have, I think they haven't seen each other for a while or, oh, that's what it is. His parents are staying with him. Mm -hmm. And so he's not, he and his girlfriend aren't able to have sex the way they, the way they were because his parents have been with him for a super long time. So they actually go out to, he and his girlfriend go out to see a movie. And while they're watching Schindler's (laughs) List, because they both have this 
pent up sexual aggression, uh, they just start making out through Schindler's List. Newman sees it and reports back to Jerry's parents, and his par- and of course, you know, it, it, he is Jewish. His, his parents yeah. are Jewish, and so they're saying like, "How on earth could you make how out during you? Schindler's List?" I mean, it's very, and that's the thing that speaks to this idea of. It's not just a movie. It's yeah. Schindler's List. Yeah. You don't make out during Schindler's yeah. List. You know, and so, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it is, it is a film that has taken on importance. Um, and, and, and I think, I don't think, I don't think that this, and you know, I was, I mean, I was 11 when the, when the film came out. So I, I have no idea of what like the, the culture was like or what attitudes were towards, Holocaust films mm-hmm. were, but I certainly know that now uh, there is an attitude about making a movie about the Holocaust that in which, you know, there's a great, there's a fair amount of cynicism both in how people approach it and maybe even the decision to make one, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, we talked, we've, we heard it said on the movie, uh, on the TV show extras in which Kate Winslet says, Hey, if you're going to win an Oscar, you should, you know, play a Holocaust, uh, be in a Holocaust movie, which incidentally she won an Oscar for being in the reader, <laughs> but, um, like a year later. Uh, and so I think Schindler's list maybe, and, and just the, the sheer inevitability of it winning best picture mm-hmm. and it being such an important film mm-hmm. that people felt like they had to see. Um, I feel like, uh, that affected the entire it may have even created the genre of the Holocaust picture. Yeah, maybe. I was kind of trying to think if there are ones really before this. I mean, other than like the sorrow and the pity or show or something like that. Right. Um, something that dramatizes the Holocaust. I can't think of any off the top of my head. But I can't either. I'm sure there were some, but I mean... But yeah, I can't think of any immediately. I, I wonder if that was one of the reasons it was such a big deal is because that was it was one of the first movies to really tackle a dramatic story surrounding yeah. the Holocaust. And I mean, maybe I mean, Judgment then, in, you know what? Judgment at Nuremberg, it's not... Here's the thing. That's true. It takes place afterwards, but in the film, the characters themselves, uh, because it's, a, you know, it's the Nuremberg trials, mm-hmm. so a guy brings in footage mm-hmm. of... Uh, I think it was Auschwitz and mm. just piles of bodies. Mm-hmm. And that, that was the early sixties. And that was viewed as like this, I mean, people couldn't believe what yeah. they were seeing. And so, uh, so I'm sure there were movies that did it, uh, yeah. that, that dramatized it and really grappled with the weight of it. Um, but I can't, but even that took place afterwards. Right. Like something that took place there in that place. It's like yeah. showing those atrocities as they're happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can't call any to mind, but I'm sure there are some. And I even wonder if maybe even up to then it was still, it still almost seemed like too much to make a movie Yeah, about that. And maybe that was one of the first times that people were able to say like, or to, to tackle it in that way. And I don't know, like there could have even been a taboo to it at that point. Maybe. And just this, and, and I, I wonder if some people, it's entirely possible because I mean, don't get me wrong. Nine eleven, horrible though it was, from a just from a, a numbers standpoint, it wasn't as massive as the Holocaust. But mm-hmm. that is a definite thing that people of our generation can look at 
right. and something that had a very big worldwide cultural impact. And so when I look at uh, a movie like World Trade Center or United 93, the big thing I remember is people saying, is it too soon? Is right. it too soon to do this? And are the filmmakers merely exploiting our feelings about it right. in order to get us to come see it, to, to create a sense of obligation mm -hmm. so that we have to see it? So I could see there being a taboo of it's a, of you run the risk of doing something potentially in bad taste if you could right. if you make some if you make a film that could make a great deal of money um and and maybe that was part of his impetus to, to not take any money for it no absolutely absolutely um and so yeah it's a very i mean it's a film that really brings up a lot uh even just the stuff that we're talking about which is you know his approach to making the film when he made the film and then just when the film got made in the history of, of Hollywood mm -hmm. um, and just the unblinking way in which he did it. Um, you know, I do not think of Spielberg as a particularly raw filmmaker um, with the, ex with the two exceptions of this and saving private Ryan and maybe Amistad. But even then that mm -hmm. has a sensationalistic uh, uh, romantic romanticization Romanticize it. Yeah, I can't think of it. <laughs> Romanticizing. I'll put it that way. Sure. Um, and so, you know, I think of him as a, as a sentimental uh, director. Like, okay, for example, the same year that he made Schindler's List, <laughs> he made Jurassic Park. I forgot about that until yeah. I was looking at the notes and I was like, that's, that's the same year. Yeah. Who is this guy? Yeah. And apparently, I mean, I mean, I've heard stories about how he was directing aspects of Jurassic Park from the set of Schindler's List. Really? Um, I've heard of that. I don't know if it's true, but, um, <laughs> but that's the thing, you know, that's, he's a director who, when Jurassic Park was a blockbuster, it was PG 13. It was only ever going to be PG 13 when the time comes for Nedry to die or Muldoon to die. Oh, the it's inside a car and we are seeing the outside of the car. Or, oh, Muldoon is getting killed by a raptor and it's strategically behind a bunch of bushes. Uh -huh. Like he, I feel like he's not a filmmaker who I'm reluctant, reluctant to say that he is squeamish, mm -hmm. but I think he has very mainstream sensibilities Yeah, and yeah, you, you run the risk when you have those sensibilities that, and that you and you're going to make a Holocaust film that you're not going to go as far as the re material requires. Right. He, he, he seems like he wants to use moments like that for the power that they have inherent in them. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, you can show someone getting torn apart by a Raptor in Jurassic park and certain audiences are going to love that. But, yeah. uh, those kind of things happening, he wants to be actually, he, he wants those to be powerful moments when they're supposed to yeah. be. And so that's why he doesn't look away in saving private Ryan or in, uh, in uh, Schindler's list, but doesn't need to show those in Jurassic park. Cause that's right. not, cause those aren't important. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. That, you know, there is a term Spielbergian, mm -hmm. um, like Hitchcockian or, uh, Tarantino esque and that sort of thing. There's, there are certain filmmakers that have a style that people 
understand. And so if you say that a film is Spielbergian or a choice is Spielbergian, people have an idea of what that means. And no one will ever associate it with Saving Private Ryan or Schindler's List. They no. associate it with Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Raiders of the Lost Ark, a sense of wonder and awe and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is not a thing that he that that is what he's primarily known for, which is why a movie like Schindler's List, even though it has, you know, score by John Williams and it's and it's clearly something that he as a as a Jewish man would it feels like is a part of him mm-hmm. um and he still directs like he directs but he makes choices that you know if you want to stick with like the auteur theory and and the idea of that 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 a, a director puts their individual mark on every film and so you can always kind of tell now i feel like i could tell that this was spielberg but not but not based on his other films yeah um i feel like it was his based on maybe a sense of scope and a sense of commitment to detail and the emotional feel of it Mm -hmm. i think um, do you do you feel like he is a filmmaker? And you guys have done a on Battleship Pretension. You guys have done a, a, a profile on him, haven't you? We did. It was it was kind of a, a sprawling profile, but yes, mm-hmm. we did. Do you did you feel like? And I, I haven't heard that episode, so I don't know. Like, do you feel like there tends to be kind of a shift in him as a filmmaker? Because it kind of seems like maybe mid eighties, you could almost imagine it as him saying, "You know what? I don't want to deal with this." kind of kid stuff anymore this and because then he starts to make films that seem like they have more of an importance to him like say the maybe starting with the color purple probably when is amistad amistad was 97 okay that's later than i thought so yeah color purple was i think 85 yeah empire of the sun which again like that is a a war prison camp film Mm -hmm. but even that has a sense of fun and inspiration to it but like color purple is i think that probably marks don't get me wrong he wasn't an immature person i think close encounters is a remarkably mature film definitely i I think even like i I, I, even a lot of his the stuff that we think of as spielberg and the more fun stuff i think that shows a very mature filmmaker a very strong hand um but you wonder if he as a as a person feels like he has a responsibility to tell more important stories. Yeah. And then I almost feel like you kind of start to see a shift because, because Jurassic Park is, is more the old kind of thing. Yeah. But other than that, I mean, since, since the color purple, it's been almost all stuff that's more in that direction. I'm thinking like, not really. No. What am I missing? I'm I'm missing the the second Jurassic Park. Did he direct that one? I forgot he did. War of the Worlds. He made Catch Me If You Can. Yeah, Catch Me He made Minority Report. I mean, yeah. he's he made The Adventures of Tintin, but he also made Amistad and Lincoln, which Saving, I don't like that much. Saving but he Private made, Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. War Horse. Yeah. Even, well, I will say at least even some of those later ones have more of a... Like War of the Worlds has a darker feel to it. I mean, it he even does, said yes. that himself as it being kind of the... Uh, uh, other side of the coin from Close Encounters. Yeah. Um, or like a... Uh, and the, and, and uh, I keep saying the flip side, but uh, an extension of that, the same year as War of the Worlds, which is his usual Spielbergian thing, but with a much darker tone, that, that same year he made Munich. Right. In which he deals with like the Israeli-Palestinian problems, but he brings in an element of thriller. Yeah. Like, he brings in genre elements that he's much more comfortable with so that was an interesting year for him yeah 
and even even like Minority Report too is a uh, there's a there's a it feels more like the dark cynical sci-fi. I think so. I mean, yeah, it's Philip K. Dick. So yeah, I think so. Um, but yeah, but he certainly wasn't you know shying away from the movies that are fun and and all of that. And he no, just, that's true. And he has remained, I'd say, a, a master of film. I didn't necessarily. I certainly didn't love uh, Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which he also made. Um, and I didn't really love Tintin, and I didn't see Warhorse. I feel but, like I should see Tintin because it, it. I don't know. That seems more like. I don't know. It, it seems like it's going back to a very, just kind of adventure type. It does world. have an Indiana Jones quality yeah. to it, but without any of the characters that are fun, um, which is frustrating. But you, you you didn't see that one? Though? I did see that one. You yes. did see that one? Okay, yeah. yeah. I didn't see War Horse. AI, but, I forgot about that. Yeah, AI. You know, that's certainly, that's that has a Spielbergian quality to it with, of course, a Kubrickian quality. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I don't necessarily want to turn this into a, a dissection of Spielberg. Yeah, we yeah. certainly could spend time on that, but... But yeah, Schindler's List is a very, it's a very fascinating film in that it's, I mean, of course, it's not fun to watch, but it is very impactful. You watch it once and you'll, you, there are parts of it, as I've said before, there are parts of it that you will have for the rest of your life, even if you see it just once. I mean, you said that you saw it only once. Yeah. Sometime in the last 10 years, roughly. Right. And I still, yeah, a lot of that stuff sticks with me. Yeah. And so, um, as far as Oscars go, it won picture director adapted screenplay cinematography art direction editing and score um i do think the music is beautiful in it though um i do like that there is a you know i feel terrible putting it this way but it feels there's a jewish quality to the to the the orchestration and the instrumentation Mm. while still remaining very much a john williams score uh williams i think not unlike spielberg uh he's gotten kind of a bad rap because he tends to score big major motion pictures but what he's able to do is pretty amazing yeah he's he's a, an he's an adaptable yeah uh composer yeah and if you don't think he's adaptable adaptable go and, wa- and listen to his score for catch me if you can which sounds yeah. so unlike his usual yeah. thing but um but yeah and it was nominated for best actor for liam neeson supporting actor for ray fines costumes sound and makeup so um and i will say that like just the the performances all around are good liam neeson is of course uh, a very Man, isn't it weird to think that he played Oscar Schindler and then 15 years like when he was younger, he played Oscar Schindler and Michael Collins and then he got older and played and has become a huge action star. Isn't that insane? That is weird. I feel like that's a trend now. There's something something that we like now about these guys that are in their 50s and are just going around and shooting people (laughs) i think there's this idea of like oh they're great at what they do but they also now have the benefit of wisdom Mm -hmm. and if you're older you know you've you probably have a couple of kids and all that and now they have something to fight for Mm -hmm. you know they have more to lose than just the uh the kind of hanger on girl yeah figure that you saw in action movies of the 90s or 80s yeah and so liam neeson i think it was great ben kingsley is is reliably great and ray fines is pretty wonderful as Mm -hmm. uh goth i don't know quite how you say his name but um but yeah, uh, he was nominated for supporting actor. He lost to Tommy Lee Jones for The Fugitive. 
I think Tommy Lee Jones is absolutely wonderful. I think he absolutely deserves it. A lot of people said that that was a big mistake to mm-hmm. not give it to Ray Fiennes, who is, of course, great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Tommy Lee Jones is also turning in some really good, surprisingly naturalistic work in The Fugitive, hmm. which then brings us to the Best Picture nominees. The Fugitive, In the Name of the Father, The Piano, and The Remains of the Day. I have seen one of those films. Uh, I st- I've, I've started watching In the Name of the Father like three times. And it's not that it bores me. It's just that for whatever reason, all of them were in like high school and college, and I just never got to finish it. That's weird. I've only seen one of those two, and it's, it's probably not the one you would guess. Did you see The Piano? Yes, that's okay. the only one. You haven't seen The Fugitive? Yeah. We watched it for movie night once. Yeah, I must not have been there. Here's the deal. If you want to watch The Fugitive like right now or anytime, I will watch it with you <laughs> because it is... in. Of these, and again, I don't know. I mean, I hear The Piano is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I hear Remains of the Day is wonderful. And I, 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 from what it sounds like, this is a very good slate of films. Um, Although America must have been depressed in 1993. Like, I mean, The Fugitive, I think, is, isn't is a depressing movie. It is not, no. But the, the other three of those, like, The Piano is definitely depressing. Yeah. The Remains of the Day sounds depressing from everything I know about it. I'm sure In the Name of the Father is depressing. Uh, yes. You, you can't make a movie about that kind of subject matter and not be yeah. depressing. Um. All, all that I think of when I think of Remains of the Day now is the end of uh, Waiting for Guffman, where in his little, in Corky Sinclair's little <laughs> shop, he sells a Remains of the Day lunchbox. That's right. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, but, uh, so yeah, from what I hear, there's a very good slate of film uh, films. So, uh, but all I have is The Fugitive and Schindler's List, and I'm perfectly fine with Schindler's List winning yeah. Best Picture. Though I do love The Fugitive, it is one of my favorite films of all time. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Uh, it will not disappoint you ever, ever. <laughs> I saw it in the theater at the time I was 11. Mm-hmm. I saw it with my parents and my uncle. And I remember just thinking, and I remember not being interested when I walked in. Oh, really? And I got interested in 10 minutes and it had me all the way to the end. I've seen it probably 15 times <laughs> I, in my I, life. I think that's one of those ones that... I mean, it's shocking that I haven't seen it yet, but it's one that I feel like I'm confident is good because I know that adults liked it, but when I was a kid, I knew the kids who were my age that had gone to see it also yeah. liked it. And you're like, if it if it can span uh, a range of 50 years and be uh, be appealing to people all within that, then yeah. there there must be something magical about it. Now that I know you haven't seen The Fugitive, all I want to do is watch The Fugitive <laughs> with you and just look at your face the whole time as you just marvel at how wonderful the movie is. I'm sure I I'm might be overselling it. it, except I'm not. <laughs> uh, other notable nights. So that so it, it sounds like a pretty good slate for Best Pictures. Already resolved. Schindler's List winning Best Picture. Perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. So looking at it, just a, a few. 93 was a very good year looking at this list of other notable 1993 releases. You had movies like Philadelphia, Groundhog Day, which has since become known as a really wonderful film. Yeah. Uh, What's Love Got to Do With It, Shadowlands, Jurassic Park, Matinee, which is a movie that I love, Three Colors Blue, um, A Perfect World, Nightmare Before Christmas, and The Line of Fire, What's Eating Gilbert Grape, The Firm, Fearless, Shortcut. We're going to tell you every movie that came out in 1993. The thing is, like, I wasn't planning on saying this whole list, but every movie that I (laughs) arrived at, I thought, yeah, that's pretty good, too. Um, It's a... 93 was a very good movie year. Mm. Um, now, of these, I'm not sure what I would have... I don't think I would sub in any of these for, um, for Schindler's List. I mean, mm, let me no, take a look it'd here. be hard to. I mean, there's some of these that 
that I think might be, I think there's some of some of them you could say are more daring creatively. Oh, sure. Um, and some, <laughs> it all goes on. It all depends on what you're basing your, uh, your definition of good on. I yeah. mean, Schindler's List is not fun. So if you're going to have fun at the movies, right. then you're, you're in bad luck with that. You should just go see the other Steven Spielberg for that yeah. movie for that year, Jurassic Park. Yeah. And then it's one of those things where, um, like, oh, I was talking about how iconic Schindler's List is, you know, like Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're just, yeah. It, there, there are a lot of movies that came out this year that people are still talking about. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. That people have... do still talk about The Fugitive. They still talk about Schindler's List, Groundhog mm-hmm. Day, Jurassic Park, Nightmare Before Christmas, What's Eating Gilbert Grape. Yeah. I mean, and I, I love the Three Colors trilogy. So, right. Um, Blue being on here, uh, I forgot that it was that early, actually. Yeah, um, they. I mean, they all came out in the course of like one or two years. They right? were close together. Yeah, and yeah. it's weird to think that he died. That I mean, he's been dead for almost twenty years. It was like ninety six or ninety seven. He died. I don't know. Yeah, it was, I know he was young. Yeah, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, That's Christoph Kieslowski we're talking yeah. about, by the way. And yeah. uh, go back and listen to our minisode about uh, the film Red. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, so just to, to wrap up, I think we're in a good place to do that. Um, yeah, Schindler's List is a wonderful film. If you haven't seen it, go and watch it. Recognize that it is an unblinking portrait of the, the Holocaust. It is a film that if you are in a good mood, it will ruin your day. Um, <laughs> but that's the thing. You know, I do want to address that very briefly. It'll ruin your day in that it it shows sad things. Mm-hmm. But it's an engage. I'm of the opinion that if a film is engaging... Um, and just really draws you in. And even if it draws you in in a very mournful way and in sometimes in a very horrific way, it still has done its job and you've still engaged with the filmmaker, with the characters and all that. And you can still come away from it feeling like you quote unquote enjoyed it and that you still like the movie and that it still it, it has had an impact on you. Schindler's List is a film that will always have an impact on you. Yeah. Um, but you do need to recognize that, I mean, you're going to see some pretty rough stuff in it. Right. You know? But at the same time too, it's not that it's just, I mean, we talked about movies this year being depressing and a lot of it is depressing, but I don't, it, it doesn't feel, I don't feel like you feel bleak coming away from it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> whereas when we went to see Nightcrawler a few nights ago, yeah, that feels a little bleak at the end of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I um, think so. But that's, uh, it, it, and I think it's because Schindler's List doesn't present, um, I, I don't think it presents the world, at, it, doesn't, it, it isn't, the point of it is not to say this is what the world's like, and that's terrible. It's just to examine something very terrible that happened and some of the reasons for why that happened and how people reacted in the face of that. Exactly, yeah. And you know what, that, that brings up just a, a very brief thing. The, the fact that this is the story Steven Spielberg told to tell, uh, chose to tell, because it's not just a, ge- a generic story of fictional characters in the Holoca- Holocaust or even real characters in the Holocaust. It's Schindler's List. It's this guy who was not in danger, mm-hmm. who was selfish and initially started doing good things for entirely selfish reasons, mm-hmm. but then eventually took responsibility for doing the right thing. And I believe he wound up saving yeah. an 1100 lives. And I, I, I've always 
felt a little bit of a connection to Rick from Casablanca in that character. Mm Mm-hmm. When you Absolutely. see like he, there's no reason for him to do the right thing. It doesn't, it, it's no skin off his nose. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it either. And with Rick, it's, it's a little harder to tell whether he, he's always been that way. And maybe yeah. you could maybe argue more that he was always that way. But, uh, both of them, there's kind of a change from seeing that character as somebody who, who just doesn't care. Yeah. Um, who's just going to do whatever helps them to where they're willing to sacrifice so much. And you know when the and that's the thing is as far as things you can take away from the film, I think the big one is you look at that scene at the end, and you, then you just look at the film in general, and you can look at the atrocities and just think how horrible, or you can look at them and think, okay, when the chips are down, and I mean I may never live through this, but when the chips are down, and I'm in the middle of something bad, maybe even if it's not happening to me. I still have a choice. I can still do something. Mm-hmm. Oscar Schindler did something. And yes, you know, millions of Jews were killed, but there are 1100 people that, that lived. Mm-hmm. And then of course had families and all that. Right. All because he did this, he did what he was able to do. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there is, there is an, an element of, for lack of a better term, inspiration. I mean, if you want to look at the term inspiration, you are inspired to do something. And so I feel like you could watch Schindler's List and feel inspired to look at the world around you and think, what di- what positive difference am I making? Yeah. Um, and so I feel like, you know, the story being told, it's not merely, hey, here's the Holocaust. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, yes, here's this horrible thing you already know about. We're not going to shy away from that. But within that, you had people here and there that decided they were going to do something different. They were mm-hmm. going to take, they're going to take a stand where they could and help their fellow man. And yeah. so I feel like that's, that is one of the things that does separate um, Schindler's list from other, you know, yeah. Holocaust films and that Definitely. sort of thing. So uh, I think we'll end there. Um, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can always leave them in the, uh, the post on the website for this, for this episode. Um, if you have any uh, emails, if you have any, uh, you know, anything to say to me and Josh, you can email me, email me, Tyler, at more than one lesson.com. You can email Josh, Josh at more than one lesson.com. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at more lessons. You can follow Josh at the Josh long at the Josh long. And you can also uh, like us on Facebook and sign up for a newsletter and all that kind of thing. So uh, thank you all for listening. Josh, thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.